Hello and welcome to the ITC Entertain the World podcast, a new series of audio episodes where the television series made by Lou Grade's company, ITC, are explored. My name is Jazz Wiseman, and for this first episode, we'll look at Gideon's Way, ITC's gritty police drama that began filming in June 1964 and starred John Gregson as Commander George Gideon and Alexander Davion as Detective Chief Inspector David Keane. The series was produced by Robert S. Baker and Monty Berman. And for this episode, I'm joined by Rodney Marshall. I'm delighted today to be joined by Rodney Marshall. Rodney, can you just tell us a little bit about you very quickly? Yeah, I suppose, well, my passion for TV comes from having a father who was a script writer for 30 years, and I sort of grew up watching his shows, and um, so I, I guess that was in the genes. I went to university, studied English, and uh, even though I'm a teacher now, I still spend a lot of my spare time exploring and examining 1960s TV, including a lot of the ITC shows. Great. Something really magical about them. So I suppose we should start really is um, why we're here and more importantly, why Gideon's Way. And for me, I'd just like to say what makes this series so special is that it's very, very different for ITC shows in particular, but also quite different for TV at the time in the fact that it is particularly gritty It's filmed predominantly on location in bombed-out London, and the consistency of the episodes is absolutely superb. I mean, I can't think of one bad episode in the whole run. And I wondered what you felt was special about Gideon's Way yourself. Yeah, I mean, well, starting with your last point, if we look at any shows uh, of any sort of uh, era there are always a few poor ones aren't there i mean i'm thinking Hmm. whether it's danger man it's the saint uh outside itc the avengers they've all got a whole load of episodes where you think "Mm, not great in this case i agree i think all 26 are of a really good standard there isn't one that i i can think of off the top of my head where i thought Actually, they tried to do something a bit silly there, or the script was weak, or or the guest cast was poor. I think you've got 26 really good episodes there. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to pick you up on that with the scripts there. Over my history of interviewing people over the years, it's very interesting. I've dug out some interviews. One with Robert S. Baker, who I knew as Bob, so I'm just going to call him Bob Baker. And this dates from September 1999. And he's talking about Gideon's Way, and he says, the thing about Gideon's Way is the scripts were strong. There was a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then I went through my other interviews, and I've got one from Roy Ward Baker from July 1995. So this is four years previous, but says almost the same. So this is what Roy said. I thought Gideon's Way was good because it had John Gregson in the lead, and it had really good plots because Creasy's books were always good. This was because the books had a beginning, a middle and an end, which by the time you get to the champions was something that many of the teleplays didn't have. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I'm halfway through 
reading Gideon's Fire, which um, was the basis for three of the episodes, including The Firebug. And I'm stunned at how good this book is. I mean, I've read Charteris's Saint books, and even though the storylines are exciting, in my opinion, they're pretty shoddily written. Um, I was, was going to say, and also a little bit far-fetched in places. Yes. And uh, the, this Creasy book is absolutely stunning me. It, it, it's dark, it's realistic, it's empathetic, the characters you really believe in. And so I think there was a really, really good basis for ITC to work from. Because I know there was a film made in 1958 based on the first book, and, and they turned it into almost a comedy, apparently. I haven't seen the film. No, me neither. I understand it was, as you say, a comedy. It's interesting you picked that up about that point there, though, because I've got the original ITC brochure here. And when you read what the publicity department said about it, if I could just go into that, it says, George Gideon has one of the most vital jobs in London. He is, as created by world-famous novelist John Creasy, commander of Scotland Yard's Criminal Investigation Department, the nerve centre of the British capital's fight against crime. John Gregson brings him dramatically to television in Gideon's way, in stories which grip from start to finish. There are no mock heroics in Gideon's way. As Commander Gideon, Gregson directs a huge force of police officers and detectives trained to deal with crime in all its aspects. The series shows the real methods employed. Above all, these are characters you will care about. There are people you get to know as intimately as if they are your closest friends, sharing your feelings and their thoughts. Gideon is no mere cardboard figure of a high-ranking police officer shrewdly pitting his wits against the criminal fraternity. I really like that point, by the way. He is a man with a wife and a family and a man of deep understanding towards those who work with him and for him, and even for the criminals he is fighting. And because he regards these criminals as human beings, they take on an unusually deep dimension. Most of the action, therefore, is in London, the most cosmopolitan city in the world, teeming with men and women of all nationalities and always colourful. London's pulsating, vibrant rhythm is captured in all its exciting aspects, with John Gregson in the series is Alexander Davion as a good-looking, ambitious and clever detective, Chief Inspector David King, who views all pretty girls <laughs> with an appreciative eye, thus providing a contrast to the family-loving Gideon. Daphne Anderson is seen as Gideon's wife and his children are played by Andrea Allen, Richard James and Giles Watney. So in that description that ITC and its own publicity is putting out at the time in 1964-65, you know, that's pretty hard hitting compared to what's it saying about, say, shows like The Saint, where it's talking about, you know, glamorous girls and exotic locations and suave, you know, Simon Templar. Really quite different, I think you'd agree there. No, absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't guess it was an ITC show were it not for the fact that obviously a lot of the guest characters are ones that we also see in Man in a Suitcase um, and a variety of other um, shows such as The Saint and Danger Man. But in terms of sort of style, it, it's actually quite downbeat. Uh, I mean, some people would say Man in a Suitcase is downbeat, but still it, it, it centers around clients with a lot of money. McGill might not have that money, but his clients have. So you still got a lot of glamorous locations. There's very little glamour 
in this at all. I mean, I noticed that that word said something about glamour in London in, in that publicity, but we don't get to see the glamour very often. It, no, it, no, know, we don't, do you, we? No. I mean, you've said before, it almost feels like a post-Blitz London. Yes. Well, it, it, you know, when you look at some of those um, episodes, in particular, say, like the Firebug, which is one we mentioned earlier, where George Cole's character is riding around the sort of streets on his scooter, you see all these sort of bomb sites, and you realise that, OK, this is 20 years after the war, and London still had these bomb sites that kids played in. I know it talked about London being the cosmopolitan city and being glamorous and always colourful there. Ironic, it says colourful there, because obviously the show was shot in black and white. But to me, like you say, you don't really get that swinging London kind of thing, which was beginning to happen, except for maybe in a couple of the episodes where the nightlife, as I was going to say, with Anton Rogers in the sort of Chelsea boat, um, and you know he's got his little gang and that, and that's quite sort of young and happening. And you know, and interestingly, that didn't come from a creasy book. That was one of the five that was a new storyline. That might be relevant. I mean, if I can read this out, this is just literally a few lines from Gideon's Fire, uh, and this is the fire chief who's explaining that London is is full of slums that are dangerous, and he actually says uh, in this little piece, and it makes its way indirectly in, into the episode. He says, you know, we've got grave overcrowding, we've got residential districts that are ready for fire, we've got um, tenements where there is only water on one floor. We are nothing like as civilized and advanced as we like to think. And I think that's something that the show delivers. You know, forget swinging 60s, Carnaby Street, the Beatles. Mm. Um, There is this other London. Yeah, this is the real London, isn't it? When you look at it and you see how, I would say, grimy it is. In particular, I think the black and white sort of emphasizes this grime and grit that, when people talk about London of the 60s, a lot of, uh, you know, they talk about London being swinging and that, but like, I can't remember who said it, but someone said by the time that Time magazine had got there and done its um, swinging 60s London feature, those swinging days had gone and, and you know, it moved on. But prior to that, London was pretty dark and grim. And, you know, we've got to think about things like the craze. London wasn't this lovely, spectacular place that I think people associate with it now. Yeah, and I think also you take characters like John Drake in the second series of Danger Man, you take Simon Templer, and as say, outside the ITC stable, you take John Steed. They're all living in very nice muse houses or apartments Mm. in trendy parts of London. And I think what Gideon's Way does, it it takes us to the other side. There always have been two sides to big cities. I mean, I'm thinking back to Oscar Wilde, who lived in Chelsea, but made his way over to the east end of London every night to sort of pick up boys and stuff. There's always been that underbelly. Yeah. And and, and actually, Gideon's Way does do a little (laughs) bit of that in the contrast between Gideon's family home in, you know, suburban North London, whereas most of the crimes he's investigating are on the grimy streets of, say, East London or North London or South London, wherever the district is in particular. 
Yeah, and I think that there, there probably is a tiny bit of a critique of Gideon from that point of view. I mean, he comes over as a really sympathetic character uh, in all the episodes. Um, but at the same time, there is almost this sort of, um, he can go back to his slightly smug middle-class existence at the end of the day, whereas a lot of those uh, victims of crime are left to pick up the shattered pieces. I think he's aware of that. But it, it is quite a luxurious detached home he goes back to, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, detached as well. So it, it's, it's, it's going to cost a lot of money. So that contrast... I think plays out really well in all the episodes. And it's funny because when I um, first saw this series, which would have been someone in, in the sort of mid to late eighties where um, I'd got copies from on video from Australia, but because the um, slot that they were shown in, I think they were, they were strict to 45 minutes of action because of all the adverts, the bits that they cut were always the family bits so oh, wow. f- for years, I didn't really get why they would say, you know, there's Gideon's wife and Gideon's kids. And you're thinking like, well, they weren't in that episode. But it wasn't till later on when I actually <laughs> saw that the uncut ones and realised, all oh, right, all the bits that were cut out in Australia are all the bits that where he was sort of cosying up at home, which I found quite <laughs> to be quite funny because uh, in a way they're the bits that actually give you the contrast in his character. They do. And there is, a, it becomes a running gag, doesn't it, in the series that uh, whenever he's planning a family outing or a comfortable evening at home, the phone goes and it, mm. and it sort of interrupts. And even though in that opening episode, he, he admits that his wife left him many years ago because he'd got an imbalance between work and home life. I think once the series gets going, um, it's very much like relief to home life. You know, he's every man. He's got issues with teenage children and you know it, he's like the rest of us i think is is almost what they're hinting at isn't it yeah i think so it's interesting as well that you've been reading that book because um i've been delving around in the depths of my archive and found out a couple of the um the books with the small picture of him on the front i've got a couple of them but i did a little bit of research and actually there's a series of eight of them so and I've never really ever read them. So I think tonight I might actually start reading some of them because I, I read some of the Saint novels years ago and I thought, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, they, they're the best ones that were put into the series because they were the black and white ones. And I agree with that. But reading some of the novels, I felt some of this is so far-fetched. You know, he's tied up and he's in a warehouse and it's on fire and the villains haven't frisked him, but he's still got a sort of tiny knife up his sleeve or something. And I'm thinking, come on. They're quite child. They're quite childish in a way. Yes. Um, I mean, uh, one of the obviously most of them is short stories, but the the novel uh, the saint plays with fire, which had an original title, uh, but then got remarketed. Prelude to war, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, in that book, it's full of real slapstick comedy. So he gets to a train station, and he's only got minutes to save this woman. Um, but the, the the taxi driver who picks him up has got speech impediment and he can't understand him and stuff. And it, it, mm. it's quite boyish humour. Yeah. Uh, whereas actually the Creasy books, judging by this, by Gideon's Fire, they're quite understated. Um, and as I say, very empathetic. I mean, he sold 80 million books during his lifetime. Yes. I don't know how he managed. He managed to, uh, to write a book every two weeks, 600 <laughs> and 
odd books. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do that. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, I was going to say there, with because I've been going through some of the original scripts that I've got that were Roy Baker's, who later known as Roy Wallbaker. And I've got quite a lot of Roy's scripts. And if you look at some of the series, there are pages where he's scribbled notes and annotations, particularly to dialogue that he's not happy with, that's come back from the scriptwriter. But if you look at these Gideon's Way scripts, there's hardly any of that. There's the odd word that's maybe scribbled out or he's written a little replacement word. And I think that obviously when he was working on this, it gives the show a lot of respect by that. Because when you look at something like The Baron, you know, and there's like a page of dialogue and, it, and lots of pen and scribbles yeah. all over it, you can, you can imagine the difference. So I think as a director, you know, from what he said in his quote, he, he held this series in quite high esteem. But what makes, makes it interesting as well is it's almost like the, the forgotten ITC series, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, to me, there's almost a Janus side to it in that it's got one head looking backwards at the 50s, which is not surprising as quite a few of the books had come from the 50s. And yet it's got one head looking forward to the sort of gritty and often quite brutal sort of 70s police drama. So it's almost doing both. It, yeah. it, it feels quite old-fashioned on the one hand, and yet actually it, it deals. It, it doesn't mind dealing with quite shocking content. I mean, we've got everything from suicides to domestic abuse. Um, even the villain in the housekeeper. It turns out at the end of the episode that she was actually raped as a teenage maid, and she's been mm. getting her own back on what she calls dirty old men. Yeah, that's quite you know. I would yeah, have thought that would have been quite hard hitting. Yeah, I agree. And, and and it's funny you mentioned the Sweeney there because the Sweeney often gets held up as this sort of groundbreaking police drama show, you know, and it does have its merits. I'm not knocking it, but I think that people who are giving that show the credit have obviously not seen Gideon's Way because if they had seen Gideon's Way, they will see that actually filming on the streets of London was being done 10 years previously the shows were equally as what well, episodes I should say equally as gritty and as you say like some of the characters in there are are quite tragic really they are i mean there, there are quite a few what i would call victim turned villains um, mm. we've mentioned george cole in the firebug but there are quite a few others there's the guy who goes around trying to push people under underground trains mm, and it turns out revenge. Yeah. yeah and it turns out that his girlfriend committed suicide after she was caught stealing and there's a similar one the prowler that his girlfriend had committed suicide there are quite a few episodes where and as i say the housekeeper we've already mentioned that where Actually, the villain isn't some sort of pantomime villain. That there is a sort of a damaged human behind it. Yeah, I, that's what I quite like about this show because, as I say, if, if this was a, some of the episodes of the Saint, they're all a bit far fetched in their villainry, whereas these are just kind of very genuine, normal inverted commas type people, everyday people from the streets who, like you say, have got some sort of backstory. And that has affected them to make them what they are now. Yeah. I mean, there's one I like, Boy with Gun. Mm. And um, this boy has been 
perhaps over-mothered, but basically his father, who I think is a police surgeon in it, Anthony Bate. Yeah. And he's basically sort of bullied this child. He wants his son to be sort of macho when actually the boy's sensitive and likes books. And um, he's almost turned his son into someone who feels that he's got to try and prove himself. And so he goes around with his gun and, and shoots a, a a bully boy from the school. And um, okay, I suppose he's the villain of the piece, but he's a very empathetic character. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can just sort of scoot along a bit. So I just wondered what you thought of the casting of John Gregson, because I think it was a bit of a masterstroke, really, because obviously, you know, he had an established film career. And for someone like him to take a lead in a show like this, where, you know, it's not big glitz, it's a relatively small budget show, not much publicity about it. It's quite a big step for him as an actor to take, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it, what ITC benefited from probably at the beginning of the 60s was the fact that British cinema was dying its death. And so there probably weren't nearly as many roles in a cinema for people like Gregson and others. And the same probably applies to directors. I mean, you mentioned Roy Baker. You know, he's one of many who who had the background in film. Yeah. And I think these people become available because British cinema, as I say, is is on the way down. And of course, ironically, one of the reasons it's on the way down is that more <laughs> and more people are staying in to watch TV. To watch television, yeah. And so in, in, a, in a way, I guess, you know, what ITC is doing is it is producing cinematic experience for the small screen. Yes. And uh, I, I think Gregson is brilliantly cast. I can't think of a single frame where I thought, crikey, he's acting badly or anything like that at all. No, he he delivers on every single shot, doesn't he? He can be angry. He can be forceful at work. He can be a little bit patronising towards his assistant. At home, you know, he can play the sort of um, loving husband or indulgent dad. He also gets frustrated. He's quite conservative. There's one episode where... um, his wife wants to buy some Chinese food from Soho and modernize the family a little bit. And he says, oh, I'd much rather have roast beef. You know, <laughs> it, it, there is quite a conservative side to him. Yeah, and, and as you were saying there about his role in the police, we shouldn't overlook Alexander Davion's part there because I don't think he delivered a bad frame in any way in, in, in terms of the casting of him in, in his on-screen appearance, I think he was a really great sidekick. And I, I think at times you get the impression he could be a real bastard of a copper if he wanted to be. He meets villains at, at their parties. Uh, there's one with Mike Pratt where he goes around to his house and they're having a party. And, and the he, Chelsea houseboat. He yeah, goes and he, he really makes it known that if you want to mess with me, you can try it. I think that he's a perfect foil, actually, for Gideon. And... Another great contrast in the fact that he's young and he's out there getting interested in women and parties and that, whereas they say Gregson's character, obviously, of of Gideon himself, has got the home life, hasn't he? Yeah, and there are episodes where he sort of let off the leash. So, I mean, in The Lady Killer, David Keane does most of the investigation. And that's one of those episodes, there are quite a few, where his latest girlfriend offers him the thread for the story. I was going to say, that's almost like a Gregson holiday episode, isn't it? It's almost like this, go on, John, take three or four days off and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Alexander can run this one. I mean, they did do that at the time. So 
that's, that's uh, again, great point. We should say that the series was shot at APPC Elstree. There were two standing sets from the scripts we can see. There was Gideon's Police Office and Corridors, which is seen in obviously every episode, and Gideon's Home, which is in the other standing set. You know, that again, that was quite a big set, so it had the doorway and the stairs and the entrance and the front room sort of thing. So, And it was filmed at the same time as, obviously, The Saint, because what we haven't mentioned here is that the show's producers were Bob Baker and Monty Berman, who were responsible for the black and white episodes of The Saint. So this show was running concurrently when some of the later episodes of the black and white Saints were being filmed. And very much night and day, aren't they? Um, I think when you interviewed Bob Baker, he said that it was almost quite a relief doing Gideon's Way because it was a, it was the complete opposite. Yeah, if you think about the Saint, where it's all sort of light-hearted and haymaker punch-ups, you know, glamorous girls, and the Saint always gets the girl at the end. Gideon's Way is completely opposite to that. And interestingly, you've got a lot of glamorous young women guest starring in it, but they're not playing glamorous parts. No, so I'm, I, think, I'm thinking of people like Annette Andre, yeah, who's Annette actually Andre. playing, you know, a, a member of a gang. You've got um, is Jane Merrow in one of them, isn't she? Yeah, she's a gang member, and then there's Jean Marsh as well, who's in a couple of them. You know, she's the wife of the sort of safe cracker. And yeah. she goes after that. This is with Patrick Allen. A perfect crime. Perfect crime where the safe cracker gets caught and is going to be shopped for all the crimes they've done. And uh, he tells Jean Marsh about this. And she shows that, you know, she's got a bit of steel because she goes and confronts Patrick Allen. I know that in the story, you know, he, en- he obviously ends up killing her. But she, like you say, she's just not like a 60s dolly bird. No. And the husband, that's an interesting part because he's someone who's an ex-con who's trying to go straight. And Gideon says towards the end of the episode, actually, did we actually really give him a chance? Yeah, that's that's really true. But I mean, Patrick Allen is is one of those. I mean, he's always brilliant at playing a baddie anyway, isn't he? But um, well, he's got that sort of velvet voice that, you know, when he <laughs> he can say something and make it sound amazing. Yeah. In the way but, that he says it, I mean that's, that's, that's a, why he was voiceover king. Yeah, no, absolutely. But but his part in that is quite fascinating because he's a Jekyll and Hyde character. He doesn't yeah. need the money. No, he's he's, he's a, stock a wealthy stockbroker. Yeah, but he wants a, a bit like Hyde. He wants to go out at night time, and he wants the danger. It's what he gets off on. Yeah, and that's so what gives him his kicks. Yes, so I mean that makes it again quite an interesting character because that's not one you would normally get. No, definitely not in an ITC show, I don't think. You might, in in later sort of Thames dramas, maybe, you might get that. I don't really think at the time you'd get that with shows like The Saint. And me. I mean, we should really talk about the, the shows that were in production at the time, obviously, because Gideon's Way is a black and white show. So we've got The Saint and we've got Danger Man in terms of ITC shows. I suppose we could mention Man of the World and The Sentimental Agent, but of course the other big show in production at the time, although not an ITC show, but sort of running through that was The Avengers. And one point I wanted to make was that Gideon's Way, The Saint and The Avengers all featured an episode about the rise of fascism. Gideon's Way was The V-Men, Saint Plays With Fire, which you mentioned earlier, and The Avengers, The Mauritius Penny. 
Now, they all handled them in a slightly different way. And I just wondered how you felt the V-Men was handled in terms of Gideon's Way. I mean, I, I think obviously it's a, it's a very early episode, both in terms of it being filmed and I think it was the second one shown. I think it's it's really interesting because, first of all, you think that Sir Arthur Vane is going to be quite a cardboard cutout character, a bit like um, the the equivalent of Saint Plays with Fire. And yet as the episode um, evolves and you realize he's not the main baddie of the piece, he suddenly becomes a little bit more human. So rather than it being a caricature, you, you actually realize that maybe he had what he thought were good reasons behind this fascist party. And I, I think that's probably the difference. In the same place with fire, the baddies are just simply two-dimensional baddies. Yeah. In oh, the V-Men... There's the thugs and the, and the sort of so-called brains behind the outfit. Yeah. At, at here, I, I think it's a, a little bit more interesting. And I think very early on, there's a scene where they sort of wind up the guy from the peace party and make him violent. And there's almost a sort of slight irony in that as well. Yeah. But I, I think it's an episode that that, that works very well. I mean, the, both those first episodes, the State Visit and the V-Men, are almost sort of um, political episodes, aren't they? Yeah, the State Visit one with Alfie Bass. I remember the first time I saw that and I thought, oh, that's, that's quite different for an ITC show, you know, planning of a murder of a head of state. I know that in later sort of shows... I say like the champions there's always that sort of thing but didn't really seem to be as a sort of gist of say danger man or the saint at all when i think about it no and there's a wonderful irony that um gideon in that episode has got tickets front row tickets for his <laughs> wife and children and the little son malcolm says i've got no interest in politics yeah and of course he now is uh and he seems so sweet in that episode well in the series actually no I, I do like the fact that you can have a couple of those sort of you know political episodes that there are quite a few as we've already mentioned where you've got sort of damaged victim becomes villain you've got quite a range uh, uh, of different types and then of course you have got the cold really cold-blooded characters such as uh, the, the one in the late in lady killer I find that fascinating. I have to admit, that's one of the standout episodes for me. I mean, I've got, I've got a list of standout episodes. I know you've got a list as well. And there are stories that we agree on. One of the ones that I particularly like, because it's so of that moment in time, is The Rhyme and the Reason, which is kind of like the modern yeah. rocker story, which was filmed in August 64. Well, the, the fights between the modern rockers... Uh, was only in May 64. So it's very, like, of that moment. But also I liked the fact the show was showing youth culture of that time. Again, and uh, they did that with the nightlifers as well. With Alan Moore. Rothwell is very good in that. With the rhyme and the reason, I just felt that that was quite a brave step in a way to take. I know it wasn't particularly about mods and rockers, and it's, it turned into a story about how the, the mod character was kind of demonised, and actually it was the wicked sort of stepfather who was, you know, behind it all. But his character, Adam Rothwell, I mean, he almost goes down. It's yeah. very, very close to him going to prison. Um, and uh, he, he says at one point, doesn't he? He says, you're just judging me. Society, the, the police, everyone judges me by the clothes I wear. 
And if you think about that, that's the same throughout any sort of um, youth culture movement. Okay, in the 60s, it was the mods and rockers, and then I suppose it became uh, the hippies and like the sort of glam rockers, but in particularly punk rockers in the 70s, you know, where, okay, they looked, you know, I was a punk rocker, and I looked absolutely shocking. But the thing was, for us, it was very much about trying to make your own life better, no matter where you came from. I just find, find these things where they pick up on youth culture particularly fascinating because it seems to be often overlooked in ITC shows. So when they do show a youth culture thing, it's just a sort of swinging party with the disco music, you know, and and, and the sort of kids are just dancing. Whereas in Gideon's way, the youth culture and the youth in particular are are so believable. And and I mean, that sense of belonging, everyone wants that. So uh, I think in an episode like The Rhyme and the Reason, you can see the attraction of being a mod, going out on your scooter. And then, of course, he feels belittled by the fact that the rockers have all got big, powerful engines, which I'm sure, you know, probably has some sexual connotations as well. And and the girlfriend is turned on by that, isn't she? She doesn't want to be on his silly little scooter. She wants to be on one of those big motorbikes. We should also talk about the writers. On this, we've got quite different set of writers compared to... Danger Man and The Saint. We've got writers here like Norman Hudis, who went on and did a little bit of work on The Prisoner, we could say. We've got our favourite man, Harry Junkin, who, uh, as Leslie Charteris very famously says, this script is fit for Junkin, (laughs) uh, about one of his Saint ones. We've got uh, Jim O'Connolly, who would later direct Roger Moore in The Saint, or Vendetta for The Saint. But we've also got people like David Chantler, Alan Falconer, Jack Whittingham, Ian McCormick, and Malcolm Hulk, you're obviously more associated through your father with the writer side of thing. I wonder if you could maybe tell us a little bit about some of the, the writing oh. in this show that you feel strong. Well, I mean, I think obviously one of the ones that stands out there is David Chandler. I mean, American, and he'd been involved in quite a few American shows like Naked City. And I think I said, sent you a quote the other day. Naked City ended every week with this, uh, I haven't got the quote in front of me, but something along the lines of, this is just one of the human life stories that takes place in a city of 8 million people. And actually when Gideon is put into the American version, Gideon CID, when they have the voiceover from Gideon at the beginning, there's quite a similar thing there. And I'm sure there was that sort of link to shows like Naked City, which were a little bit film noir, and I mean, I think Gideon's Way has elements of film noir, doesn't it? Uh, so, how many yeah, of those absolutely. episodes start with sort of shadows in dimly lit streets? And th- there is almost that sort of, um, you know, I think this is why we said at the beginning, it simply wouldn't have worked in colour. It, ne- it needs that edginess and grittiness that comes with monochrome, I think, personally. I suppose what we should do here is just take a pause and actually play the US titles so people can hear what we're talking about. I actually think these are a bit, in a way, a bit like the Half Hour Danger Man. So they kind of set the scene. The Half Hour Danger Man was John Drake coming out of the building. You know, every government has its secret service, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, with Gideon CID, which is what the show is known as in America, in particular where you talk about the lines about the sh- in the shadows and stuff, 
I think that, again, reiterates what is going to come up and what's going to happen, if you know what I mean. So it's like, you know, when, when there's a crime, they call me Gideon CID. So we'll just take a pause, myself and you, and we're just going to play that. This is my city, London. 800 square miles. Vast, sprawling, restless. Over 8 million people live and work, love and play, hate and die. On the fringe, hidden in the shadows, those who prey on the innocent. Steal, destroy, attack and kill. When they do, it's a job for me and the Criminal Investigation Department. So there we go. That's the US opening titles for Gideon CID, as the show was known in America. Sorry, I was just going to say on that level, what do you think of the theme music? I really like it, actually. It's actually got a name. It's called G Patrol, um, and it's by the ITC great Edwin Astley. What I like about it is it's, it's not dark if you know what I mean. If I listen to lots of music, being a musician, and you can hear the sort of mood of the piece, Gideon's Way does not give you that mood that is going to be something sort of gritty. It's quite upbeat, quite light. I was going to say, that's exactly the word I would have used. I would have said it's upbeat. It's almost, you know, you can trust in Gideon. Yeah, it's light, if you know what I mean. It's It's not dark and heavy and moody. It's kind of quite joyful in a way. And I like, again, it, Gideon's way is that thing of contrasts we've, we've mentioned a lot. And I like the contrast that the music is kind of upbeat, but actually when you get into this, it's kind of down and dirty. We should point out that Gideon's way, the original soundtrack is available as are the DVDs via network. And if you're a fan of the show and you haven't got these CDs, it's a, uh, a uh, two CD set, and each CD is getting on for an hour or so long. It's got great tracks on it. If you're a fan of the show, I think you'll really appreciate the music because the music is great to have on. I I tend to put these on when I'm working away in the background, and it's great because you kind of just you don't sort of hone in on it if you know what I mean. But it's there, and the the DVD set we should say has been available since 2005. It really is worth getting if you haven't seen this show because there's not a clunker in this, as we've already said. And believe you me, if you sit there and watch this, I guarantee after one or two episodes, you will be hooked and want to watch them all straight away. That's your fault. I got into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm responsible for that. Sorry. But, you know, well, I just think the show needs more sort of flag waving, really, because, like I say, it's forgotten and people don't realise just how great it is. You know, well, I mean, I said to you the other day, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Robert Sellers' book, Cult TV, Golden mm. Age of ITC. I love it. And he has lots of interesting things to say about Saint, Man in a Suitcase, Danger Man, and a lot of the other series. 
there are 12 lines about Gideon's way in a chapter at the back called, uh, uh, you know, uh, and not forgetting. Yes. Yeah, and in a sense, I guess that, that sums up where we are with Gideon's way. It has been forgotten. Um, it's, it's not a show that's ever talked about. I mean, I guess in some ways you can understand why it disappeared in that Roger Moore and the Saint, Patrick McGowan, and as say outside the ITC stable, you know, obviously John Steed, Emma Peel, they actually became part of the sort of the 1960s culture, didn't they? That culture of coolness. Now that Gregson and Gideon are not cool. No, uh, that's not, not what they're aiming at. And I think maybe, um, you know, it, it needs a revision now. It needs people to sort of look at a show like that and say, actually, first of all, it hasn't dated, as in it doesn't now look clunky, which some shows do. Um, it is the first, so far as I'm aware, it's the first proper police procedural from Britain to free itself out, to go out on all that location shooting. The guest actors in it are impeccably good. And I think some actors who we're used to seeing in slightly more cardboard cutout form actually really thrive in, uh, in this environment. Donna, I, mean, I was going to say some of those actors as well, obviously in the early days of their career, going on become very well respected and established actors, people like John Hurt and Donald Sutherland in particular. These are guys who are in the early stages of their career. They give great performances in this show. And there's no hamming up. There's no sort of silliness, like the occasional times you might get in, say, The Saint. These are absolutely rock-solid performances. I don't think the directors would have stood for it, to be honest. And and also, in, in terms of the scripting... There was no opportunity for that sort of hamming up. No, I mean, there are some surprising guest actors as well as the the, the usual sort of ITC brigade. I'm thinking in Mourner. Now, I like Mourner because it's got a really daring structure. We begin with the murder having already been committed and we work our way back through sort of uh, flashbacks from uh, various witnesses. And you've got John Justin in there now i mean john justin is someone who's in my favorite film of all time the thief of baghdad which made him an instant hero in hollywood you know huge blockbuster film and here he is you know 20 odd years later playing the part of the sort of seemingly respectable but randy old sort of guy working in this girl's boarding school that's quite a delight to suddenly see an actor like that appear it's interesting you say that about the thing there about not being dated. I've got a little quote here from an interview I did with Peter Pitt, who was a very well-known ITC editor. If you're a fan of ITC shows, you probably know that name. But he says in this interview that I did with him, Gideon's Way, I edited one episode, but it was a very good series, but I'm sure it must seem very dated now. So isn't that funny that we don't feel it's dated, but with a guy who works on it and edited it, thinks it would be dated. I quite, I find that quite funny, really. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. suppose, again, talking about the, the two sides to the show, yes, it, it doesn't seem sort of colourful 60s, A, because obviously it's not in colour. And as we've already said, it, it doesn't really want to sort of celebrate that sort of 60s counterculture. It, it's offering, that, you know, that hide side of, of the city. And I remember chatting to you a few days ago and we both said the same thing. What on earth would American audiences have made of that? 
Yeah, because if you think about what was on television in America at the time and what British drama was going over to America, they must have thought, what the hell is this? London's really like that. I'm not going there. But, it, but it, also, you know, the, we know that ITC was sometimes sort of rightly or wrongly criticised for that slight mid-Atlantic thing. And there mm. is a slight mid-Atlantic thing in, in Danger Men and the Saints at times. Here, there's no even vague impression of a show which is trying to make itself attractive to an American audience, is no, that at all? No, I mean, and to be honest, when said about getting the shows from Australia. Over in Australia, Gideon's Way is still shown and it's broadcast late at night and it seems to be on virtually all the time. And I wonder how they would have thought of it. I know there's a lot of expats there, but like you say, I suppose they're, in a way, I suppose they're closer to our sort of understanding than, say, some of the Midwest in America. But still surprises me that a show like that was seemed to be so popular that it was brought out and just continually shown forever. No, no, absolutely. I mean, you were mentioning earlier individual episodes. I mean, the, the Night Lifers, which we did mention very briefly earlier, that is an interesting one because I'd say it, it's not a typical um, Gideon's Way episode. But, um, I mean, again, you've got what a fantastic cast in something like that. I mean, Gene Marsh, who is brilliant, uh, you know, you've got Annette Andre, a very young Derek Fouts. Mm. And I mean, Anton Rogers, who I'm more used to seeing playing nice parts. My goodness, he is evil in that. I always think of him in that Randall and Hopkirk episode where again, he's kind of the slapstick and he has to get drunk to see Marty. But like you say, it, he's a completely different character and actor in The Nightlife. He's got a real edge of nastiness about him. He's, he's sadistic, isn't he? He is. He's wonderfully sadistic. And, and then in, in there's a brilliant close-up by the director, literally in the last couple of minutes, when he's been interviewed about the murder and he's still smug he says yeah i've finished and actually i'm really bored being here etc and then gideon drops the punchline that actually Derek Fowles' character tim coles is now dead and his face just drains and he doesn't say anything but i think yeah that's the mark of um someone who is a fine actor at that time i mean he's actually very good in man in a suitcase as mcgill's friend as well I was just looking at my quotes and stuff here. We've missed this one out, but we should go back to it, really, because it's it's a Bob Baker quote from September 1999. And I asked him, what made you and Monty Berman decide to film Gideon's Way? And I love his response to this. It says, oddly enough, we didn't decide, but Lou Grade offered it to us. We said, sure, why not? It was entirely Lou Grade's idea to do Gideon's Way because he was so happy the way we were doing The Saints. It was running so smoothly that he thought we could tackle it. It was a lot of hard work, but we enjoyed it. So there we get the main point that Lou Grade was the man who decided that ITC should make Gideon's Way, which is quite fascinating, really, because I guess he must have read the books and thought that there was something in it. And looking at the saint, as in a literary character, it's working. Let's get Bob and Monty to do Gideon's Way. When I was saying what I said earlier about shows like Danger Man and The Saint and Men in a Suitcase, it wasn't in any way to be critical of those. 
but I'm wondering whether he felt that actually we can do something a little bit different here. I mean, they had done that sort of Interpol series, hadn't they? Was that like 59, 60, something Interpol like that? Interpol calling, yeah. Now, I've never seen that. I don't know if that's at all gritty or... It's a good show. It's not as gritty as, say, Gideon's Way. I I think particularly because at that time, ITC was kind of finding its feet in contemporary drama because if you think about it at the time they were still making swashbuckling adventures you know and they'd been really successful at that robin hood william tell sir lancelot and many more they were buccaneers yeah well ivanhoe wasn't itc but if you of course it wasn't but if you look at those shows they were all very successful i mean sir lancelot even went into color and you know in in the 50s Again, it was made for the American market in colour. But um, so with Interpol Calling and Four Just Men, they were kind of finding their feet really with contemporary like 50s, 60s drama. And I think where that really came to a fore was H.G. Wells' Invisible Man. They sort of got the formula right there. And obviously when Danger Man started, that was right. We're off and running now. We've done our little sort of warm up with these shows. We know where we're going. So, yeah, Lou Grade offering it to Bob and Monty, I thought, was a bit of a revelation. Yeah. Usually, usually in terms of, well, not say usually, but, you know, off, more often than not, I suppose with later ITC shows, you know, they just kind of had a, a, a concept and an idea and sort of showed it to Lou. And Lou said, yeah, you know, so I'm thinking like they're the champions, the prisoner, man in a suitcase, Radlin Hopkirk, Department S, the Persuaders. You know, none of these were established characters sort of from books or anything. They were just like literally ideas on a bit of paper. Let's make a series about three agents who have a crash in Tibet and have these superpowers. Great. Okay, do it. Yeah. Um, Magoon with the prisoner, you know, sort of basically danger man after he quit Secret Service. Don't start on that one. No. Well, that's another. We'll have to talk about that one, won't we? Yeah. So we've kind of gone a little bit off topic there about Gideon's way. Um, well, I mean, one of the things you mentioned earlier was, was about. Well, we we both chatted about what the Americans would have made of it, and it's interesting. I think that there are certain episodes that are more America friendly than others. So there's the Millionaire's Daughter which has got some american actors in it a, a few and now that episode i could i can see family in new york sitting down watching that episode and getting it whereas at the other extreme something like big fish little fish where you've got all these east end kids they were pickpocketing and it's almost like something out of dickens i thought the one that might work in america would be the great plane robbery yeah just because it's a heist it's basically uh, you know set at an airport you kind of get the idea that the u.s audience would get that but like you say some of them i also thought the big fix the horse racing one i don't necessarily thought they'd get half of what was going on but they might get the idea of the horse racing i mean i think one we haven't mentioned at all which is an interesting one how to retire without really working because they have there gone for a comic episode 
and it, it's Eric Barker, who I always think is brilliant in comic parts. He, he's very good in in a Danger Man episode, the ubiquitous Mr. Lovegrove, which again is a mad over-the-top one. Now, this isn't over-the-top like that, but it, it has almost got a comic feeling, and Gideon doesn't want to catch them. He likes them. He visits their home, and he even admits to you know his counterparts at CID, I, I don't really want to catch these people. They're sweet. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that one in a way of it being sort of a little bit lighter, I suppose, compared to some of the others. I can't remember off the top of my head if that was from a book. Can you? Yeah, it's from Gideon's Lot. Yeah, I mean, again, obviously, I I don't know how much, uh, you know, I mean, clearly reading Gideon's Fire, things like Firebug stays very close to the book. But the Mods and Rockers one we were talking about earlier, that was a book from the 50s. So clearly it wasn't Mods and Rockers in the book, was it? They must have changed that and, and tweaked it. And I mean, I think that's one of the things that's quite interesting when you've got the books you can't literally just translate them. You've got to do something with them. So, um, yeah, I mean, that adaptation process, you know, like, you know, where they have to sort of flesh out characters or introduce new characters or like you say in the rhyme and the reason introduce it or bring in the theme of mods and rockers, which was very in the news at the time to give it that additional space for the teleplay to work. Yeah. I mean, um, George Cole's character in Firebug, there's nothing, so far as I can see so far in the book, about the doll. Now, I think that's a brilliant bit in the actual episode that he talks to this doll because it's the only thing that's left from the fire that his wife and daughter died in. And Mm. the doll almost becomes a sort of, in a strange way, a sort of surreal character in the story, doesn't she? Yeah. And I watched that the other day and there's parts of that episode that are just fixated on him as in like the camera is still and he's standing in his dressing gown and he's all drab and he's kind of talking to the camera lots of um itc shows wouldn't have done that because it'd been wham bam thank you man you know we've got to get this point over very quickly it really allows that empathy for george cole for you to, to, it makes you feel for him doesn't it it, do you, do you remember that scene I'm talking about? No, 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 I can. He's looking into the mirror, talking to himself. Yeah. Which, in a sense, is looking into the camera. And um, and you do. And it's strange because that's the moment when actually madness truly takes over because he initially regrets that fire. Yeah. And then he says, oh, well, actually, more people have got to die, etc. Yeah. And it sort of escalates and... Uh, and works like that and um, I think this is one of the benefits of allowing the guest characters which which, uh, Creasy does in the book as well to dominate I mean uh, Gideon and his assistant do not dominate all the episodes and so you have almost got a semi-anthology feel to it in the sense that these characters as you say are given screen time to actually develop and become proper rounded characters it's funny because I did a number of DVD commentaries with George Cole and he was always very, very reluctant to talk about Gideon's Way. I did get something out of him once, but it was only very small. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I remember it. And yeah, it was all right. But he really didn't want to talk about it, which I thought was quite unusual because, 
you know, when you're doing a DVD commentary, a lot of the time you're watching the screen and you're with one or two other people and you're talking to them about, I don't know, a certain shot or what the director did there or whatever. Sometimes you get these pauses where there's nothing in particular going on as such. You know, it's a bit run of the mill. And I would always have my little sort of set of stock questions, you know, and say like, oh, you were in an episode of XYZ. Can you remember about that? To trigger a little bit of thing. Uh, of, of, of a thought process and most actors would say yeah oh yeah I, I remember that and the director was so and so and 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 that was fun or you know we went on location here or there and or, or oh the girl in that was um oh so and so yeah I was also in a play with her in in the West End or something like that but George really didn't want to talk about that episode at all and even off camera when I asked him about it he was just like yeah I remember that and it's the only time I remember him sort of um, being a little bit sort of cold because he was such a lovely guy and really warm and you know he could talk to you about Minder and all the other shows he he was in you know even we even talked about his appearance in UFO and, and like he would say oh yeah blah 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 about that but yeah he really didn't want to talk about the Gideon's Way one. I wonder if he found it upsetting, you know, because it's it's such it is really an upsetting part when you think about it. It is, and I mean, actually, even after what he's done and the destruction he's caused and the people who have died, that very last sort of scene where he goes back into the house where his family died, mm. and he runs up the stairs, etc., and you still feel for him. Yeah. Despite the, despite everything that he's done in that episode. Yeah, I mean, it's a real interesting story, that one. I do think George Cole obviously sort of steals it. The only thing I'd say about that is a little bit of iffy back projection, which um, I suppose all, all ITC shows sort of tended to have. But in it's not the worst by a long way but that would be the that would be my only sort of slight criticism of it really but but then you see i mean in a way saying about him stealing the show which i entirely agree isn't that what he did with minder because minder wasn't a vehicle for him it was meant to be a vehicle for dennis waterman and yet actually the person who the public fell in love with was arthur daly wasn't it yeah good point so we should um, really talk about some of these other ITC regulars because we've touched on them, but it was like ITC's rep, what really, wasn't it? So in Gideon's Way, you had Darren Nesbitt, you had Ray McAnally, you had Donald Houston, Mike Pratt, George Marcel, Jane Merrow, Annette Andre, as we mentioned earlier, Gerald Harper. The list goes on and on for these actors who, no doubt, if you watch an episode of Gideon's Way, you'll think, oh, they were in The Saint, or they were in Man in the Suitcase, or they were in The Persuaders, or they were in Danger Man. It's the magic of ITC's rep, really, isn't it? But it also goes to show that actually, when, when it comes to it, that these actors can really turn in fantastic performances when the material is serious. Yeah, and I mean, a perfect example, I don't know if she was on that long list you gave, Angela Douglas, who often plays that sort of, you know, pretty, fairly demure blonde. Ditsy blonde kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and and she plays what turns out to be really quite a bitchy part in Mourner. Mm. You know, here's this character who we're told in the first five minutes by everyone was perfect. Her dad says, you know, she was the light of my life. The headmistress says she was the best, child in our school and it turns out actually there's a really dark side to her 
which she's able to play uh, because although she's dead in in the first scene obviously then because it goes back in time we get to see this sort of rather dark side to her up in london where she gets into drugs and i mean it's a very interesting and very you know quite rare for the show black character i think it's johnny secker who's always excellent and um he accuses the police of being racist etc and um um that episode's quite interesting because you think it's going to be one of these out of town home counties episodes and then it draws us back into london into this darker side and of course that's Kay Walsh again who is so good as the um, murdering housekeeper so yeah. she's one of a, a number of actually I think there are quite a few people who appear in at least two episodes aren't there yeah Jean Marsh being another one who was great in both of them we haven't really spoken I suppose I mean we did I did say a little bit about the modern rockers sort of dating it to 1964 but we should say really that the production started in June 64 with the first episode the tin god and followed by the v men but I've got a really interesting little piece here that the stage reported on the 9th of July 1964 that filming had began and that 13 episodes were planned but this will probably be extended to 26. So that's another interesting little point to me that I think that, okay, so they'd only commit to 13 at the start in case it doesn't quite work or Bob and Monty feel that they just can't handle yeah. handle two shows at the same time. But obviously, as Bob said earlier, you know, they it was hard work, but they enjoyed doing it. So it did run for the full 26, which is great because of 13, the way ITC made their shows at the time were in blocks of 13 because that was considered a season in America. So if you had 39, you'd be on for basically three quarters of a year, but you could run 13 repeats and then you'd be on throughout the whole year. So yeah. This, you know, when originally planned as 13 episodes, it looks like it's almost like a schedule filler, doesn't it? If you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also, I mean, maybe because it was so different from what they'd been making that um, there was an element of risk, wasn't there? Yes. Um, yeah. You. Could, I mean, I think probably with those first maybe three or four, they were really just seeing, okay, how's this going to go? Because it can either going to go two ways, isn't it? It's either going to be a success and, and and relatively straightforward to make, or it's going to be hugely problematic. And the and and I would have thought the problem would have been the location filming because if you look at shows like The Saint and Danger Man at that time, the location sh- footage in comparison to Gideon's Way was was a lot less. Yes, well, I mean, a lot of it is a palm tree stuck in front of the back lot at Elstree, whatever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The famous yeah. palm tree. Yeah. But, um, no, I, well, I would have thought also another risk it was they would have known what they were getting with Gregson. They wouldn't have known what they were getting with the assistant, who, yeah. after all, was a young, inexperienced actor. Would the two of them have a chemistry, which they really do? You said earlier, you've got the lovely contrast between their lifestyles, age, everything else. But actually, they work very well together when they're on screen. And, and I guess that's something you just don't know whether it's going to work in advance. You don't have that with Simon Templer, with John Drake, with McGill, because they're loners. Yeah. Here it is a sort of a, a two-person show when we're in, in the police station. And uh, had that partnership not worked, as we know, that it, it can't work if, if one of them doesn't bounce off the other, can it? 
Yeah, it is almost like a two-hander. But, you know, if you watch any of the episodes, there, there is a lot of screen time where they're not there. Watching The White Rat the other day, and there's so much where Ray McAnally and Virginia Maskell are literally on screen arguing or whatever. It's not just like a, a brief two-second scene. You know, they're, they're quite long scenes. And you can see that actually when these guys were making this series, they knew that, as we've touched on earlier, that the characters have to have that depth to make the stories believable. And to, ha- to be able to do that, they have to have a decent amount of, of on-screen time. Well, I mean, in Gideon's Fire, the book, you go into all the characters' minds. So there will be pages and pages where you're inside a rapist's mind. You're getting his thought process you're then inside you know the head of a mother who's just lost her daughter etc and and i'm guessing that they picked up on that and thought this is only going to work if we actually really get inside all the characters the villains uh, the victims as well as the police and that does work brilliantly and again that's something else that makes it very different from anything else yeah, because for a lot of the time in, in ITC shows, you get introduced to a character who might be getting killed and you don't particularly know much about him. He's in, he, he or she is in the scene for a little bit. You know, they've got one or two sort of key scenes where they might meet the main villain or, a, say, Simon Templar, and then they're bumped off. And you don't really ever get to know more than their name and, and probably why they're killed because they're handling, I don't know, say some stolen drugs or something. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just a bit mad. In I mean, way. what I don't know, and this would just be speculation, but um, I'm guessing, for example, that Patrick McGowan and maybe Roger Moore would not have been happy playing uh, a backstep, as it were, in a lot of the episodes to the guest characters. Now, on the other hand, clearly... I, I presume Gregson was quite happy to do that. Um, he doesn't seem to have minded um, the fact that he's not always, you know, the main person on screen. And I, as I say, the speculation there, but you would normally expect if you're the star person in the show that you're going to be on camera for a considerable amount of that 50 minutes each week, wouldn't you? Yeah, and in most episodes, he isn't. They really allow the characters to come to life and to get some real depth to them. And I think maybe because they went for Gregson, because he was such an experienced actor, that he probably was relaxed about that. You know, where where if it might have been um, a younger sort of up-and-coming actor, that they might have felt more precious about their amount of time on screen, you know, and that they're not really the star of the show, if you know what I mean. Because... Okay, Gideon's Way has got John Gregson in the lead and Alexander Davion is the sort of second lead. But as we've said, well, this show is, these episodes are predominantly character-driven and the characters are allowed the time and space to basically tell the story. And uh, I would say Gregson and Davion sort of fit around the story, not necessarily always into it. Yeah, I mean, and I would say that this is the only itc show i can think of in the 60s where it is definitely substance dominates over style yes i mean it in the saint there's no argument it it is style first maybe uh, danger man has a bit more of a balance between the two 
um certainly in in the half hour ones that were a bit more film noirish but uh this is a yeah. show that where it's definitely about substance isn't it yeah it's not about style it's not about fashions flash cars um glitzy locations this is very much about the human story i think that's probably why it hasn't dated and i think that's probably you know because the story of say someone wife who's killed in a fire and then becomes mentally unstable can be happened in 1960 it can happen in the 70s it can happen in the 80s 90s whenever you know it's still it's still a story that you could feel with now i mean if you look at the hate to bring it up but the victims of the grenfell tower for example there's a story there that you know relates in a way to the firebug and people will feel the and same it, and, in, and in both cases there will be a feeling that these were things waiting to happen and nothing was done about it uh, which are, it, unfortunately is a timeless thing you know it, it will happen again somewhere yeah. sometime yeah. um i think probably though that also explains why it's never become a cult show because mm. you know the, the 60s we all know don't we it those shows are all products of their time and yeah. yet there is something timelessly sexy about the 1960s the clothes still look good the cars look great and there's something very sexy about the 60s. There is, and I think. Sorry, I was just going to say it's almost the time where we kind of finally got over the Second World War, you know, uh, end of rationing. Teenagers became teenagers. You know, they weren't dressed by their parents anymore. We've talked yeah. about youth cultures. The music was exciting and therefore the, the teenagers, you know, and you weren't listening to some sort of trad jazz you had your own music whether it be the beatles or the who or the stones or the kinks or whatever and the you know, 70s the, doesn't offer that i mean you know I, i'm not a huge fan of the sweeney but if you look at an episode of a sweeney they all look awful you know mm. the, 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 whether it's a kipper ties or whatever they're wearing it just it, it has dated you turn on an episode of the 60s shows you know and something like men in a suitcase there's nothing particularly dated about anything they're wearing if you no. wore that if you wore that in london tomorrow um no one would bat an eyelid no it's only i think when itc shows started to get into the kind of later 60s sort of swinging hippie outlook you know i mean some of uh roger moore's tie say or lapels in persuaders were are a bit dated but if you look yeah, at well, his suits in the in the saint and black and white saints in particular there's pin sharp yeah no i mean the end of the 60s uh, i think lost the plot i mean yeah. i'm thinking even outside itc you know patrick mean he had sideburns for goodness sake mm. uh which looked ridiculous I, I think a lot of the shows perhaps 68 69 the 70s has started before the 70s starts in a way yeah but i think this mid 60s period that we're talking about you know, as you say, it's absolutely pin sharp what, you know, whether it's Simon Temper or whatever, whoever. But um, this is not a show, uh, Gideon's Way, that I don't think had any interest in that, really. No, I mean, and also, like, you know, the villains just dress pretty much normally, don't they? You know, I mean, they're either in suits, like you say, that don't date or, you know, they're, you know, they've got a leather jacket on and a pair of jeans and, you know, everyone's sort of still wears, in effect, leather jackets and jeans in a way. They're pretty timeless clothes, even though yeah. those, those sort of, you know, they're not making real statements, are they? No. We should probably round up, I think, now, because we've been naturally for quite a 
<laughs> wow, it's been fabulous, by the way. And so if I could get you to sell Gideon's Way to someone who's never seen it, could you tell me why or what you think is great about it and what would make the show so great to watch for the first time or to revisit? Okay. I mean, it, I'd say, first of all, if you're a fan of police procedurals, then I think this is the landmark series. Uh, it's, we're no longer in a world of Dixon of Doc Green, but we haven't entered that brutality of the Sweeney. I think this is a lovely halfway point. And so, as I said earlier, um, there is one head looking back, one head looking forward. And I think that makes it a fascinating historical police procedural series if you're not a fan of police procedurals then what i would say is this is very different from most cop shows this is not a a police series about bent coppers it's not a series where the the police sort of wade into things this is very much you know the, the human the human stories with the police as you you said a few minutes earlier entering when needed uh, so I think there is almost a one-off play element to each episode. There, there is something, it is a bit like entering a different theatrical world each week. There is an anthology feel to it, but you've got the police procedural as well. So I would say it's an utterly unique show. I can't think of anything I've ever seen. I thought, ah, oh, that's just like, so I don't know whether that would sell it or not. Well, I think it's a really interesting point. So I'd just like to thank you for joining me and spending, well, we've chatted for nearly two hours about Gideon's Way. So for your, if you're out there listening to this, please let us know if you like what we're doing. This is our very first podcast. We're beginners. We're learning. We're finding our feet with this. I should say we are practicing social distancing because I'm down here in the rural southwest and rodney where exactly are you i'm in mid suffolk so we're doing this by the wonders of the internet hence the quality might be a little bit iffy in places but hopefully our chat allows for that rodney will be joining me again in the future for a chat about man in a suitcase which we hope to do in the next few weeks so i'd just like to say thank you ever so much for joining us on this first podcast please do let us know. Tell us what we can do to improve, what you liked, what you disliked, and I hope you enjoy it. And it's goodbye from me, as they would say. And it's goodbye from me. Thank you and goodbye. You have been listening to episode one, Gideon's Way of the ITC Entertain the World podcast. Hosted by me, Jazz Wiseman, with Rodney Marshall. This podcast was made on location and edited and produced by Jazz Wiseman. It was a bitter and twisted limited production for the morning after. <laughs>